Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Kristen Schroff with us. She is the CEO of Prisma, an online school that is doing innovative work in education, and this is a big theme of season three, looking at how we can revolutionize education and look at different spaces. And so I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. I'm excited. My first question for you is what got you into education? Was there a singular moment, person, inspiration, or did you always feel kind of called to want to work in that space? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I don't think I have that story like, oh, my fourth grade teacher really (laughs) inspired me to get into education. I think I've just actually really always been interested in learning and especially interested in the brain and and how it works. When I was younger, my grandfather had kind of a traumatic brain injury. So I was just like really interested in how our brain impacts how we function and how we learn. And when I was in college, I studied psychology and had the opportunity to work in a couple of different labs, um, actually mostly focused on people with bipolar disorder. So I worked in a lab actually working with patients and then in another one that was kind of more like data analysis type area. So I was really into that. I was pursuing a PhD in clinical neurobiology, um, which sounded really cool. And then when I got into it, I was like, oh, actually, this is kind of miserable. I miss being with Mm. people. I miss having those interactions. I miss being able to see the impact of my work every day. Um, So I started researching some options and I came across uh, a program that TNTP has called um, like a new teacher training program in New York City. So I moved to New York and became a teacher. And it was just from the beginning, I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing, mm-hmm. like working with kids, seeing the impact. And uh, yeah, I know we'll get into more of that later, but that's how I got into education. I really just kind of fell in love from, from day one and knew like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. That's a really awesome story. I teach psychology, so I can totally connect with that. And just learning about the brain, learning, learning is one of my favorite units uh, that I teach and the students really get into it as well. Cause just to like, think about how we actually learn in different ways. And I like that. That was kind of like an into possibly thinking about, you know, working with kids. And then you're thinking, I want to work with people, right? I don't want to be yeah. like a lab. I have a friend in the sciences, same thing. She was in a lab for a long time. And she's like, I just want to work with people. I want to do something from really mentoring or connecting and making a difference. And so can yeah. you share a little bit about some of your early teaching experiences or even some of the work you did out of that time period? Yeah, sure. So uh, like I mentioned, I started teaching in New York City in a public school. I taught middle school English and, you know, I had this really wide range of kids. And I think that's what really intrigued me about it, especially is that I had really high performing eighth graders who were, you know, amazing and reading these like college level novels and analyzing them. And I also had a sixth grade self-contained class. So I had learners who actually didn't even know how to read. And it really, I think, ingrained in me this idea that education should be personalized. Mm -hmm. Every kid learns 
differently. And that's the role of the teacher, right? Is to figure it out. And that kind of intellectual challenge of how can I get you interested? How can I get you engaged? How can I get you learning? Just really, really stuck with me. Uh, and then from there, uh, this was around the time, you know, Common Core was coming out and charter schools were popping up everywhere. I was um, asked to be on a founding team of a charter school in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Um, so there we had, you know, getting out of the public school system and into the charter school system, we had a lot more flexibility in the curriculum and what we were teaching. And I think that's where I really got this idea that, or it's not my idea, but you know, really understood that kids thrive when education is learner driven, when it's mm -hmm. interest driven, when it's like, okay, I think we're gonna be really excited about this. And you can just like really see them light up when it's related to their passions, to their interests. And we had that flexibility and able to create a curriculum that was really driven by what the kids were into, especially as a founding school. Um, so that was an, an incredible experience. And then after that, I was recruited to be part of a fellowship called BES, where I got to spend a whole year just traveling the country, studying different school models. So public schools, private schools, parochial schools, charter schools in LA and Boston and Minnesota and Tennessee and really all over. And I, I just what really struck me from, you know, studying those 40 to 50 different schools was just there's so many different ways to do it. And there's so mm -hmm. many great ways to do it. And learning isn't one size fits all in any way. And, and I think another thing that really struck me is that schools should be designed for their users. I don't think we actually really think about like that user-centered design in education as much as we should. Mm -hmm. um, so as part of that fellowship program, I got to spend um, part of that year just interviewing tons of different students and families. I met with more than 500 different students and wow. families in books, which is where I was founding a school. And you know, really the main question I was asking them is, what do you want to see out of a new school in the community? What are your goals for your kids? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? You know, what, what's most important to you? What are your priorities? And, um, you know, I think in this like larger education system, we often, you know, we have to make things so, because, you know, we're serving so many people, it makes sense. But when you do have the opportunity to design, you know, a more specific school for a specific community and specific families, mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of magic in that. Cause of course, you know, within a school, there's so many decisions you can make. What curriculum are we going to use? What, you know, what is our classroom time going to look like? And, and when you're really actually thinking about your user, I think it drives, it drives everything. That's a great point because you have to think about what do these families and these students really desire and want, and there can be many different educational spaces. I think part of this kind of evolution of education moving forward out of the pandemic, which is kind of like the next part I get into, yeah. is about the possibility of so much choice, like, and not just like the one size fits all, right? And I think even within the public school system that you can see that there could be lots of different ways to do it. It doesn't have to be one system that is going to be throughout the whole entire country. I think you were kind of planted in the right place because you're in New York, in Brooklyn, yep. very stimulating. I've had quite a few teachers on, um, on this podcast from New York, and they tend to be the ones that think outside the box, who've had some opportunities to have a little less structure, have more freedom to grow. And I think that is kind of like a, a place where all of this kind of curiosity blossomed. And it sounds like through your travels throughout the United States, looking at different schools, you're absorbing all of these different methods and all of these different ways of doing school to kind of land you right where you are now. And it's like this journey to get there. I always kind of like, like to see that. And that's why I like to build this story up. Yeah. So my next part I always get into is the pandemic, wherever you kind of were in that. I know Prisma was in the beginning stages during the pandemic. So we kind of want to talk about maybe 
the beginning stages of that, the pandemic itself, your role coming in as CEO? Yeah, sure. So Prisma, we have two amazing founders, Victoria Ransom and Alain Chouard, and they had kind of had this idea about a more innovative educational model that was flexible, that was accessible. You know, there are some really cool brick and, mor brick and mortar schools doing some innovative things, but, you know, it was often they're, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year and they're not truly accessible. Mm -hmm. So they imagined this sort of innovative, progressive, project-based, interest-driven education um, with, the, you know, kind of a close cohort, that kind of one room schoolhouse feel, but also global, right? So brought online. So you can have kids in your cohort that live all over the world and really get that you know, interaction from kids that aren't just in that hyper local area in which your brick and mortar school is located. So they had this idea had been floating around in their heads for a while. And then when the pandemic hit, I think like we all did, they're like, oh, wow, this is a moment really ripe for innovation and education and trying something new. So uh, I actually got to come on as, as one of the first people on the team. And we started with developing the curriculum, making it really interest-driven um, with hiring our first coaches and with, um, yeah, we kind of blossomed from there. So that's kind of how Prisma yeah. started. It wasn't an idea that was born of the pandemic, but it was sort of accelerated because of it. Yes. And I've had a lot of people on to talk about the beginning stages of creating something for an online space in like maybe 2018, yeah. 2019, and then boom, this opens and it's like, oh, this is the opportunity. I mean, as yes. crazy and horrible as the pandemic was, it also yeah. had a lot of opportunity for this kind of new shift in education. And it, like you said, it allowed it to accelerate. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about like the mission, vision program, and then kind of like a day in the life of a student at Prisma, where it's going, anything that you want to share with that? Sure. Yeah. Well, when we first started Prisma, we really had two goals and there still are two goals. Number one, we wanted kids to love learning. You know, you often see as kids are getting older, that kind of spark and that joy and that natural curiosity that's so inherent in them just starts to dim and from the beginning, we said, we don't want to dim that light that like shines so brightly inside of kids. We want them to love learning, to be excited, to be curious, to be creative, to create and to build and, and make things. That's our first goal. And then number two, we really wanted to prepare kids with the skills that they need to thrive in the future, not to just memorize random facts, because the fact is you can Google it these days, to, but, but to prepare them with the skills that they'll need to be in the future, right? The world's changing really quickly. 65% of kids are going to work in jobs that don't yet exist. So what do you need to be really successful in the future? Well, we think about this idea of applied curiosity. So, you know, you have to be a lifelong learner and to be really agile. So we give kids at Prisma tons of different choice in what they learn. So we have kind of a theme-based curriculum, like the example I'll give is um, we did a theme every six weeks. We have a different one. One was called Cities of the Future. So within Cities of the Future, you can decide, like, maybe you want to do a physics-based project or research, you know, if humans have to give up on Earth and live in space in the future, is it better for us to live on Mars or on the moon or in an O'Neill colony? And how would that work? Other kids are thinking about green architecture and sustainable design and how can I create these really cool futuristic buildings and they're building their own, you know, green buildings. Other kids are focused on climate change. They're worried about that for the future. So they're doing an advocacy project. Mm. 
Other kids are, you know, I have this message about equality for the future that I want to present. So they're doing a community art project and painting a mural or um, one learner like knitted all these little hearts and left them along a walkway to show her message that, you know, we should be kinder in the future. So there's this idea that kind of brings all the kids together, the cities of the future, but then they can apply their curiosity about that theme in whichever way they'd like. Um, so that's our first prism powers, applied curiosity. Second, we think about this idea of errors mindset. Um, so there's no multiple choice tests at Prisma, no quizzes, no regurgitating facts or information. We really believe and you know, see from the research that the realist deepest learning comes from making and doing. So in each theme, learners are creating some kind of hands-on project where they're showing what they know. They're making podcasts, they're starting businesses, they're designing models, they're making museum exhibits in their homes, they are, um, you know, building different models. It, it's really cool to see all the things that they come up with. They're doing engineering design product projects, and it, it's really magical what they come up with. So that innovator's mindset, that making and doing is our second. Um, third is communication and collaboration. So there's this, you know, Prisma is about half synchronous, half asynchronous. And so when learners are together during that live time, you know, I think that's one of the things we learned in the pandemic, right, is that the teacher doesn't need to be the holder of all information mm -hmm. or the distributor, right? Like you can learn so much from podcasts, from infographics, from images, from documentaries. Like there's lots of different ways to get information from experts and it doesn't just have to come from your teacher. So when we're live together, we actually think of our teachers as learning coaches and facilitators. So we're doing debates and discussions where kids are, you know, really passionately arguing their point, but then changing their mind when they're presented with new evidence. So one of the ones we did, um, you know, should we all be vegetarian in the future, right? You know, it's like mm. better for your health, it's better for the environment, but there's also this element of choice and preference and how do we balance these competing needs? Um, we do escape rooms and simulations. So we did one where um, we designed this whole simulation where like some eggs had been stolen from a zoo and they're 15 different suspects and each week they're getting different clues and eliminating different suspects and, you know, debating and discussing amongst themselves. We've done design challenges where the coach comes in and is like, oh no, my stuffed animal is drowning. Everybody run to your bathtub, fill up your bathtub and like find out the best way to, you know, float a stuffed animal. And then, you know, all the kids are like bring their computers into the bathroom and like showing how their animals are floating. And we're talking about buoyancy through that. So mm -hmm. these like live challenges that really develop those communication and collaboration skills that we know you need to thrive in the future. Um, so that's our third one. And then finally is initiative and follow through this idea that, you know, maybe we're sometimes in, in schools over scaffolding for kids, right? It's like, mm -hmm. here's this worksheet. You have 15 minutes to do the worksheet. Ding, timer's up. Give me the worksheet. I'll grade it. I'll give it back. You'll crumple it up in your backpack, never to be seen again. <laughs> so um, true. Yeah, but like, you know, in the real world, we have projects that we need to work on. You know, who do I need to collaborate with on this project? Who do I need to get feedback from? Am I a morning person? Am I a night person? Is it, you know, when am I most productive? How do I want to set internal goals for myself? All those like really tricky executive function, self-management skills, because mm -hmm. of our flexible nature, we give kids the flexibility to kind of figure those things out for themselves and 
each learner at Prisma has a learning coach who works with them individually and who's supporting them. So, you know, we're not just throwing them to the deep end, like do this project, best of luck, you know, mm-hmm. we're checking in with them. How are your, how are you doing on your goals? What is your goal for today? Oh, you didn't meet your goal. Like what happened? Let's reflect on that. We're not mad, but let's, you know, figure it out. Or you did meet your goal. Awesome. You know, how can we set a more ambitious goal next time? And, and really working with kids in that way to develop those initiative and follow through skills that they need to have these really ambitious long-term goals, but then also have the the skills to bring them to reality. Thank you. And I love all the examples that you gave because sometimes <laughs> people will come and they'll talk about like ideas, which is great. And then there isn't like concrete examples. So I think for our listeners, this gives more of a detailed sense of the actual curriculum. But yeah. I love that there is themes. There's these Prisma powers. Mm-hmm. So there's like the standards, right? If you will, or like the yeah. goals that you want to meet. But there's a lot of flexibility on what the students will create. And the idea that they're always bringing it back to community, right? Like they're sharing it with community. They're getting feedback from their learning coach and probably from each other. Yep. And all of it's practical because you're looking at what can we do in these challenges to be solution oriented? Because like you said, we can't just have subjects or this is going to get you to this degree for this job because jobs are changing. So what can we do? We can create some simulations. We can create challenges and come up with like really creative ideas of like, there's this problem that may sound kind of like out there, but could be a problem one day, go and solve it. And it gets it's helping them work that muscle, right? Like you're working that solution oriented muscle instead of that, um, I think self-defeating victimhood, woe is me, the world's ending, all this trauma, all this stuff. I don't even know if I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be drowning in debt, blah, blah, blah. Like that's all very much part of the world. But in this type of educational setting, you're giving them agency. You're giving them power. You're giving them that they can do something for the future. And you could do it now as a student. And this could be something you actually are doing in the real world as a project, like you said, like entrepreneurial projects, which I'm very much aligned with. I was at a conference in June for ARA, the Alternative Education Resource Organization. And a huge theme was like entrepreneurial projects. Uh, I also was traveling with students in Germany this past summer, and a lot of the schools in Germany, they focus on students while they're in school, creating Mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial project that they could actually start to make income from and impact their community. I'm like, we could be doing this. We should be doing this, you know, in our schools right now. So very much aligned with what you're talking about. I think this is, this is needed. It is 21st century learning, (laughs) as we say, we're always like, 21st century learning and skills. We're like, now we're almost a quarter way. I know that's what I was going to say. We say 21st century, but we're like pretty deep in it at this point. Yeah. Pretty deep Like we should, it shouldn't be brand new. And then this is what we should be doing and not just like having just a set of standards that look like what we think 21st century, which in the beginning was mostly like technology based and not the thinking, right? It's the thinking. And I think that's where your psychology background comes into play with understanding like how we should be like learning and really kind of working together and collaborating. And again, very much aligned with that since I'm in that field of psychology as well. So I love all of these uh, details you're sharing, just to kind of um, bring a little bit of, you know, if listeners are listening to this, like, okay, this sounds like maybe a school for me and my family. So what does it look like in order for, you know, uh, you know, in the world we need credits or we need maybe not grades or have your grades like scores or like if, kids are thinking about going on to college or whatever they're presented with what does that look like kind of as the 
evaluation piece? Yeah, sure. So we approach assessment and evaluation differently at our middle school and our high school, um, but they kind of I'll explain. Um, so the middle school learners are in badges, and these are kind of groups of competencies. So you might earn a historical thinking badge and a cycle called what if, and it was like an alternative history cycle where they got to, you know, research a important moment in time, either in their local history or international history or U.S. history or whatever they want. And then they imagined, you know, well, what if this turning point had gone differently. And then they could decide what kind of project they wanted to create out of that. So some kids did, you know, hands-on exhibits or they went somewhere and they did a field trip, that kind of thing. Um, but they earned a historical research badge at the first part of that. Like, let me research my event, what happened, you know, what's going on there. Then they earned a, you know, podcasting badge because they presented it. We did food lab where learners earned an experimental design badge because they designed their own experiment. So they're the chunks of, you know, the standards or the knowledge is, is kind of combined into badges that kids earn to show their mastery. Our high school works similarly in that our themes um, are aligned to credits. So, for example, we did 2050 Who Rules the World. That's another history example, right? Um, so that was kind of a half world history credit and a half US, um, U.S. history credit. So they started with studying collapsology. So they looked back at ancient mm -hmm. civilizations and, you know, what you know, led to their demise. And then they did some future casting. Okay, like looking forward, mm -hmm. is the US still going to be a world power in 2050 or not? Or what different global power dynamics are at play? Mm -hmm. And so these credits are, you know, backwards mapped onto our theme. So they get a transcript that shows, you know, that's really easily readable by a college admissions officer. Actually, when we were starting our high school, we did tons of research, talked to tons of college admissions people and officers and kids and families. And, you know, a lot of kids and families are like, yes, mastery based. We love it. We believe in it. And like, I just want to get a job as a lifeguard and I need a transcript that has my GPA. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah parents get money off their car insurance when I turn 16 if I have a good GPA. Can you give me something that, that just shows that? So uh, the way we do grading at the high school is we have our, our competencies, our standards really outlined for kids. There's, you know, five to seven per theme that they're focused on. And they're reflecting on those throughout. Like, is it a one, a two, a three, or a four? And then when they get 10 weeks into the 12-week cycle, they do kind of a grade justification. They say, here's where I think I'm at. Their learning coach looks at it and says like, hey, you're underselling yourself. You think you're a two, you're a four. Hey, like, you put three, I think there's actually some work we need to do to get there. And then they've got a two week revision and extension period where they can go in and really mm -hmm. revise their grade. And so it really is a very learner driven way of creating grades, right? It's not the teacher just handing it down to you saying, here's what it is. It's this collaborative conversation between the learning coach and the, and the learners and like, where, where are you at? And then they've got that two week period to go back in. Like, are you good with that? Great. Are you not? Okay. And we, we also approach honors in that way as well. So everybody starts taking the theme, but throughout the theme, throughout the projects, there's different opportunities to earn honors pins. So maybe it's take an MIT open source chemistry course, like that's five honors pins, collaborate with another learner to bring in an expert guest to speak to that's mm. two honors pins, you know, really analyze two 
you know, scientific articles in depth and, you know, provide analysis and present them to the cohort. That's three honors pins, for example. So if they've earned, you know, 10, for example, honors pins throughout the 12 week session, then they've taken the course with honors as well. So they also don't have to decide mm -hmm. at the beginning, you know, do I think I'm honors in this or not honors in this? They can, you know, see how interested they are in it. If it's something they want to go deeper into, or, you know, if the, in that two week period at the end, like, you know, maybe, I, maybe I do want to earn this course of honors. Like, let me go back in and, and build that in for myself. So, you know, it's kind of a prismified that's how we say it way of um kind of translating mm -hmm. what we do in this like mastery and interest driven way to the real world where you know whatever kids want to do they can you know get a transcript that that makes sense and is easily readable yeah thank you for sharing that because I think we can have these uh different ways of you know learning and educational spaces but how does it translate to all the different possibilities and as we have a system of higher ed it still looks at numbers like GPA, still looks at transcripts. I think that's wonderful that you, because I know the high school is kind of like the new division that's growing, yes. um, that you consult it with families, with schools, with colleges, with students, and really used that as, okay, what can we do here? You know, how can we be flexible, still have our program and be mm -hmm. pure to it, but then have this component. So that that's awesome. I mean, that's a yeah. really great selling factor too. Cause I know ultimately often, just don't want to close any doors, right? right. Like, you know right. what? Whatever they want to do post high school, right? Whether that's creating their own entrepreneurial, you know, uh, business, going into the workforce, going to school, whatever that may be, taking a gap year. So my last part here um, is any feedback that you want to give that maybe you've heard from families, students, um, anyone else that, you know, have some testimonials that they're giving about Prisma and the work that you've been doing? Oh, gosh, it is such a joy to hear from our families where we've, they're absolutely amazing. I think the biggest, I mean, we get tons of positive feedback. Our NPS is always in the world-class range and our kids and families are really happy and we have really high retention. So we're lucky we're small still, you know, but, um, I think the biggest feedback that we get and what we love to hear is that, you know, our dinner table conversations have gotten so much better. Our kids are really discussing what's going on in the world. They ha we're having interesting conversations about if college should be free or, you know, like what's going on in the world or global power dynamics. Like that's just not things that we did before. You know, a lot of our families are saying, you know, my kids used to come home from school and I'd say, what'd you learn? And they said nothing. And then we just kind of, let it be. And now they're, you know, discussing how legends and myths change over time together. And they're talking about, you know, what does it mean to really iterate on your work and to be responsive to feedback? And, and it's just kind of this mindset shift for families. And a lot of the families we see are kind of like learning alongside their kids. And it really has become this kind of family project to, to work on Prismo together, which is nice. And then the other feedback that we hear from families that have been in brick and mortar schools before is like, wow, I just love the flexibility and the time that we have together as a family now. You know, I have three young daughters myself and I know it just goes by so fast. And, you know, it's like, oh, we get to, we can go on vacation whenever we want to go on vacation now. And we get to really know each other and see each other and spend time together. Mm. And um, you know, influenced by our, our family culture, not the peer mm -hmm. culture is something that um, some of our families have said before as well. So just that extra flexibility and that, that family time is, is really lovely too. I love the feedback that you give about family. Cause I think that that's one thing I we're kind of getting back to, cause I think the pandemic <laughs> brought us all back home and, yeah. and we were all in the learning space together and families started to, I think, 
kind of realize they want to be more involved and they want to yeah. be engaged with their children and they want that time with their children. And I, that's why I, I think the online spaces, whatever they look like, can give that flexibility for the people in the educational community, like yourself and the learning coaches, and then also from the students and the, the parents. And look at how the students are thinking and reflecting on their own time and their yeah. own sense of organizing their time and what works best for them in the morning, in the evening, because they don't have this like structured day where there's a lot of time wasted. There's a yeah. lot of time wasted in the regular schedule. And then all this extracurricular and then maybe other things they have to do. And then by the time they get home, they've got to maybe learn some cool things at school, but they're, they're exhausted. I look at teenagers because I mostly work with 11th and 12th graders. And I'm like, there's like teenagers going through a middle life crisis in their teen years. Like they're stressed out and they're like, oh my God, how am I going to do this for the rest of my life? I'm like, it doesn't have to be this way. So yeah. this is giving so much more space and freedom. And you're again, bridging it into, we can make uh, a transcript and GPA for if they want to go to college. I'm sure you have many students and families that decide they want to do that, but then it's yeah. also not pushing college, right? Yeah. And that is also a part that we, need to get away from is not, it's not school goes directly to higher ed pipeline, right? Yeah. There's all these options. And here are all the ways that we're going to help advise you on your next path after this. And I love the idea of a learning coach working with students one-on-one -on -one and really have like a mentorship yeah. and being there to facilitate and guide them. But that student has their own agency of their life and yeah. they have that power. It's, it's beautiful. I, I think that's great. Thank you for those testimonials. Yeah, of course. Is there anything else you want to share just about what Prisma, maybe just your message or ideas about education in general and your path before we end here? Um, no, just, you know, it's, it's just a joy to be a part of Prisma and just to have had the experiences to get to work with so many kids and families and to help them light up about learning and to love it and for it not to be, like you said, this thing that's stressing you out and weighing you down, but it should be something that you're, I'm excited about learning. I'm excited about knowing who I am and to get to see kids and families just light up about it and to see just the power when you give learning coaches or teachers some space and some flexibility and say like, Hey, like just work with this kid, just love them, just mm -hmm. know them, just challenge them, just build a relationship with them. Um, and you know, you don't have 200 kids, you've got 15 to 20. And so just know them and challenge them yeah. in their own way. And, and the rest will come and, and it does. So that's yeah, nice. That's wonderful. And the relationship piece is so important. And that's what you know, young people want that. They want a connection with the adults in their life, their parents, the people in their school system, outside of the school yeah. system. And so having that one-on-one -on -one and someone getting to know you in depth and then being able to kind of coach you along the way, because you talk to students like in like traditional schools, some of their, the best adults in their life are their coaches, like sports yeah. coaches. So mm -hmm. the idea of being a coach um, is building that relationship. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Any information you want to share about contact information, our listeners can get in contact with you or uh, Prisma. I'll put this all in the show notes as well with links. Yeah, sure. So our website is joinprisma.com. So you can always check out our website. My email is just kristen at joinprisma.org. Actually, you can email info at joinprisma.com. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out to us anytime. We're always happy to, always happy to chat. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy talking with you today. And I love this whole theme of revolutionizing education. 
great work that you're doing with Prisma. And yes, I'll put all the information in the show notes so people can reach out if they like to. Thanks so much, Jackie. I can't wait to listen to the rest of the season. I'm sure it's going to be great. What a cool topic. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.